The Witness. The cliffs of Pictured Rock stand 200 feet tall over Lake Superior on the north coast of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And there they stood, man and woman, silhouetted atop the cliff against the summer sky, burning orange and pink at the day's close. And there they stand in my memory, forever dressed for the hike and touting backpacks that seem to weigh more than they do. And then it is only he, a lone figure upon the precipice. Two snapshots burn photochemically into my gray matter, and nothing in between. Two frames of a film. Cycle them fast enough and you have a motion picture. Your brain supplies the movement, the missing information. You make up the story. Two snapshots and nothing in between. Nothing where everything ought to be. A yawning chasm in the space of a single second. No more than two, into which I am tumbling still, and may never stop tumbling. As a boy, I used to lie in bed at night and whisper to God and ask to go to heaven, to sit on clouds with my grandparents. As a young man, I imagined I would see my life at the moment of my death, all of it from all angles spread out before me in four dimensions, and I'd be able to find a moment, any moment, and live in it again for as long as I wanted. And when it was all over, the illusions would melt away, the separateness, the isolation, and the fear would go with it. I would rejoin the whole of humanity, of the universe, all interconnected, all energy, and see life for what it is. Now, all I hope for is relief. For God or St. Peter to pull me aside at the end and show me what happened. Just once. Once and for all. Just for me. An objective record of what really happened in the time it took me to blink to glance at a squirrel darting through the dead leaves just off the trail. In the half moment in which I was not occupying the front of my own mind, I was there. I saw them. I saw it. It was simply not recorded. These are the things I have to tell myself. This is what my therapist says, even. Either it's there or it's not, she'll say. And you've looked, have you not? Of course I've looked. She knows I've looked. Even tried to help me once or twice at my persistent prodding. Maybe just to prove a point or shut me up. So I say, oh, I've looked all right. 
Well then, she says, as if the conclusion is self-evident. I can't tell if it is or isn't. The words themselves barely hold any meaning at this point. The letters come apart at the edges, threatening to dissolve like iron filings beneath a magnet. All that's left to you is to make a choice. You can choose to have a life for yourself when you leave this office and every day after that. If it has to be one or the other, it's in there or it isn't, well, you've done your diligence and then some. So if you can never know with certainty, then might it as well be the option that lets you live with yourself? It was statements like these which concerned me. How could I trust any answer that made me feel better about myself coming from a person I was paying to make me feel better about myself? But I have looked alright. Have I? I've looked for the police, for the detectives. I've looked for the police psychologist and the police psychic. I've looked for journalists who call while I'm eating dinner, and for authors and podcasters, for the park rangers and the bartender at the place across from the station where they took me for food, and I drank five beers and picked at the brown meat spilled steaming on my plate from the slit yeast gut of the pasty and said, is something wrong with this meat? And he took a piece on a fork and chewed it and said, Seems fine to me. I said, I can't taste a goddamn thing. I've looked for her grieving mother and father and brother in their grieving living room. The whole house heavy with death. Infused into every fiber of carpet, every timber of its skeleton. I've seen the hatred in her brother's eyes, which I knew was not meant for me, and he knew was not meant for me, but was in that moment focused squarely on me, burning coals in the blacks of his eyes, because I was there, and his sister was not, and I had been there and my words were not bringing his sister back to him. I looked every time I closed my eyes at night. Instead of sleeping, I looked, stared empty-eyed into the ceiling and analyzed the scene, rewound and replayed it like magnetic videotape in my mind. Coming around the bend in the trail, Eyes focused nowhere in particular. Two figures, and then one. I fall into the darkness in between, a darkness without end. Until the tape decays into static and noise with the coming of the sun against my window shade, I can feel the photographic evidence becoming a piece of interpretive art. Was it a robin that caught my eye as I rounded the corner? Some bird was there. When I rounded the corner, some bird caught my eye. 
after five or six more revisions, it will be a Robin as surely as it was a summer day. One morning, I rose convinced that he had pushed her. I could see it projected before me as though the sunburnt negative of the event itself were still fading on my retinas. By the time I finished my breakfast, I was sure I'd invented the notion and drawn the pictures entirely in my own head. It's a dangerous thing to live so long in a memory. To be a hermit inside your own head and never come up for air. Only takes a few minutes of trying to focus all your mind onto a singular fact. Like a magnifying glass over an ant to make you realize it's all subjective. Look closely enough at any photograph. There are only pixels, abstract grains of color. Feel the earth tremble a little beneath your boots. You write the memory like you write the fairy tale, or like you write the dream. My mind is breaking apart. Do you know what that feels like? As if neurons were being shipped away piecemeal to various auction houses and estate sales. We live 365 days a year, and how many of them do we remember? Do you even have a memory per year? What happens to those days, those memories, so fully felt at the time, every moment so deeply inhabited as it was happening? Do you even remember the days that you do remember? Or are they stories that you tell yourself, a little different each time? A personal folklore you call a personality? A history? A person? I am eleven miles deep in the wilderness, and soon it will be dark. There is a man standing thirty yards in front of me, and I do not know if I should be afraid of him. I do not know if he has just murdered his wife. I can't trust my own memory. But he has seen me. It will be dark sooner than I'd realized. There's a knife on his belt, still sheathed. Big knife. But he isn't approaching me. He hasn't moved from the ledge. I'm approaching him him. He looks at me with this half-dazed look on his face and just says, She's gone. Then he goes back to looking over the edge. I'm ten feet from him and my legs already feel a little shaky, a little jello. Barely muted roar of sea driving against land. The womp of falling water pounding rock. The sushing icy wash of afterspray pouting the shore. He looks back at me, says nothing, but his meaning is clear. What am I trying to prove to this man by looking over the edge? The people-pleasing knows no limit. I have to prove that I trust him. Or that I at least don't 
distrust him. The sound hits me full square in the face, a cloud of mist. A foamy torrent below, way below, water crashing and swirling amidst a tumult of large rocks. Even in the middle of July, the vapor which rises enough to meet me makes my skin tighten. The trail map mentioned, as a fun fact, that the water was never more than 40 degrees Fahrenheit. How fun. I must not look as if I am waiting to feel the hand on my back for the final push. How long would it take me to find the bottom? There is no sign of anyone down there. From up here the rocks look like broken ice at the bottom of a blender. Where did she go? I almost have to shout. He doesn't raise his voice at all. Only looks at me and says, Slipped. This far north, the sun sets late. Very late indeed. Has in fact been setting for a few hours now without ever hitting bottom. Chasing an always glowing, eternally receding horizon. I check my watch. It is nearly eleven, and still the disk of the sun is only skimming the edge of the land. It is darker in the forest, though. Much darker. The trail was obscure enough in the light. In the dark, it is nearly impossible to follow with any level of confidence. At several junctures, I have ultimately just had to guess. And for all I know, I lost the trail five turns ago and am stumbling blind into 500 miles of raw wilderness and going ever deeper by the minute. But we never stopped to converse about any of the choices. And something about this gives me confidence. I listen to his footsteps through the mud and underbrush, and without turning my head, I try to gauge how far behind me he is. My jaw locked, my molars compressed, crying out like they might explode under the pressure or else I might drive them back into my skull. I wait to hear the flurry of footfall, closing the gap in half a second. Pit pat pat and he'd be on top of me. Everything I've held my whole life to be. Solid. Immutable. My trachea. My esophagus, the skin of my neck, the muscles and nerves. All a vital part of a whole. Of me. Till this moment, their integrity of utmost importance. The subject of daily worries and home inspections in the mirror. And countless visits to various doctors over the years. From dermatologists to otolaryngologists. All that would be turned beneath the man's large 
silver, saw-toothed hunting knife into an indiscernible slurry of flesh. Stringy and meaty and chunky in turn. All wet, red, and glistening. Obliterated. In college, I walked by the open door to an anatomy lab and saw an open cadaver on the table. I saw the way that the bristly, dark little five o'clock shadow hairs of his throat poked through the ribbed pink underside of the skin. The human form deconstructed. Cubism of the blade. But then, if he was going to kill me, would the easiest way not have been to push me where he may have pushed his wife? Perhaps he'd seen suspicion hidden in my luck. If I had my guard up, there was a good chance I'd have brought him over with me on those slippery rocks. The surprise was the key. The swiftness and decisiveness of action. It would have been over for his wife before she knew what was happening. Just a familiar hand on her back, but with surprising, jolting force. A shove. Was that on purpose? Already her balance is hopelessly gone. Out beyond the ledge, into pure space. There's nothing more to be done except... Except it. I remember how she screamed. It was clipped and awful. Distinctly a woman's voice, but the low gutturality of it gives me chills even now. Playing it over in my head. So primal. Not a voluntary thing at all. Caveman howl. She could curse them on the way down, or start to think of her mother or her childhood or accidentally think about the instant noodles she'd been planning to eat for dinner or she could wince and wonder what it was going to be like to hit the gray concrete water or copper knife point rocks her husband walking out of here with me is no proof of innocence is perhaps only proof of his confidence in his own ability to convince me of whatever he needs to convince me of. Am I such an easy mark? Is that what people think of me? Maybe I have a gullible looking face. Or maybe the man is really and truly shocked. Maybe he is twenty minutes removed from witnessing the most horrific and inexplicable moment of his life, his mind still back in an entirely different world, only the husk of his body still floating through this one, living forever inside that moment on the precipice, on the precipice of a new life, the door shut on the life he imagined for himself, presumed even, in an instant. The sun finally sets, and the first faint stars begin to appear above. I stop, and then he stops. Beneath the canopy, the woods are dark, 
So dark I can barely make out the looming shapes of the trees. He says, I don't know what happened. And I notice now the woods are totally quiet. The crickets, the frogs, the owls, all gone away without my noticing. I can hear every creak of his pack weight, every movement of the fabric on his body. I can hear his lips smack. What if I have to stay the night in these woods with this man? Unthinkable, and neither of us dare speak that into existence. But is it any more reasonable to expect to walk out of here? Likely another nine miles in the dark? We can always go one more minute. That's what I keep telling myself. One more minute of forward progress. One more minute without speaking. Speaking of our tents, speaking of the very real possibility that we lost the trail an hour ago. Another minute till dawn. And another. And just one more. Stop, he says. The temperature has been dropping since sunset, and I'm only in shorts and sweat-damp t-shirt. I heard something, he says. I wish I could see something besides all this blackness. A bear? A cougar? A mouse, perhaps? He is listening to the night, waiting for I know not what, or maybe listening to some signal frequency my ears cannot register. Alone. Alone on some far-off moonlit lake. Hello? Is he talking to me? The air is different, moist, pugnant. I've nearly walked us into a swamp. Is there someone else in the darkness? Hello? He repeats his question. M me? I say. He says nothing. And then... Only... The hairs on my neck are on end. And again, I can picture it. That cold, sharp, serrated knife against my skin. Diving right between two vertebrae in the back of my neck. Severing this voice in my head from my body once and finally. Gone in an instant. I realize that I am standing outside myself, behind myself, watching myself be murdered. But I am not being murdered. Only up here. Only in the mind. There is nowhere to run to. There is nowhere to hide from this. No rescue. 
Only mourning is guaranteed, and even mourning is no guarantee of anything except uh, maybe a clearer picture of just how lost we are. At least in darkness, I can hold on to hope. Now and then we pass a creek or felled tree that seems familiar, but then we have passed a dozen creeks and a hundred felled trees, and couldn't my mind find a similar one in the database and tell me it's the very same one I'm passing now? Just to keep hope alive? A survival mechanism. A way of tricking me into preserving it. To keep me, at least for another few hours, another minute, from lying down and allowing it to rot in the soil where I now stand. A wolf. Far, far away. The moon is setting behind the wind-blown pines. The owls are much nearer. At some point we left behind the roar of the lake. I do not know when. There was something not right with her. He's much closer than I realized. The hairs on my neck prickle. Before she fell. Something in the back of her eyes. She was talking. Funny. We staggered into the empty parking lot just after sunup. My legs were numb and my keys weren't in my pocket. I emptied my backpack. They weren't in there either. Why did I even bother? to leave the woods. The man drove me to the police station. It was an hour before we reached a paved road, his wife's hat on the dashboard, still salt-stained where she'd sweated through the fabric. Maybe I should have jumped into the lake myself when I had the chance. I don't want to think anymore. There's no way out, nowhere to hide. No matter how deep I try to dig at the bottom, there is never anything but myself. My own placid and implacable face staring back at me. My own gray waxen gaze, seeing all, recording nothing. Slack jaw saying nothing. For there is nothing to say. Nothing. Nothing at all. And there is nothing to be done either. Maybe there is just nothing. But then, why me? Someday. I will be nothing. Soon. Soon.